And I was in a space of trying to figure out what my own activism looked like. I was in a space of knowing I don't feel connected to certain things. I don't feel connected to marching. I don't have any problems with people who want to march. I was in a place of knowing that my motherhood can be activism because I don't have to raise my kids the way that they're telling me that I have to. I could raise them free. And, you know, like I said to you when you were here in Charlotte, and I can accept fully the knowledge that that makes them dangerous. I just wanted to start holding the space where mothers of color know, like, I see you. I see all the things. I see that you had to go back to work early. I see that it's triggering to watch other mothers bury their children and no one be held accountable for that. And here are tools that we all can tap into so that we can be parenting from a place of love and freedom and not fear and terror and oppression. You can't keep using tools of oppression and expect to raise free people. What up? Episode 70. So that means the show notes page is akilasrichards.com forward slash 70. As usual, I am so delighted to be talking to another self-directed, education-minded, raising free people focused person, Kelly Carboni Woods, who is based out of Charlotte, a black yogi. I love saying that. I always feel like people say it's hard to find a black yogi. Here's one. She's in Charlotte doing amazing work that is centering black motherhood. And as she'll say, all women need these self-care tools. All mothers can certainly use these self-care tools. But as we know, there are specific things that are unique to black motherhood that call for our self-care to look a little bit different and for it to be clearly defined in ways that are unique to our needs. And this is a big part of Kelly's drive. So in this episode, you're going to learn how she came into that space through her own personal healing journey and why that's connected to raising boys that will be viewed as dangerous. Kelly's sons are at an Agile Learning Center in Charlotte, and her blog is Peace Filled Mama. So we're going to talk today again about yoga, wellness, self-care, and of course, raising free people. You're going to hear about the Get Well podcast, which she co-hosts with her best friend. You're going to hear about Dr. Gail Parker, a yoga therapist out of Detroit. You're going to hear about post-traumatic slave syndrome. Look, we are going in as usual. Here we are (laughs) mid-conversation. I'm excited to be on here. I listen to it regularly and I'm always telling people. I told a lady in Target, like, <laughs> you need to listen to the fair of the free child. I, um, I feel like that. it's a gentle way for me to be like, stop traumatizing your baby. <laughs> That's nice. I've never, ever, ever been referenced as a gentle way for anything. So I'll take that. <laughs> no, I, I feel like it's because it's not you on for an hour saying like, parent this way, do this, sure. follow this way. You're asking other parents and people have varying experiences and perspectives. And it's just a gentle way for us to think about doing this motherhood or parenthood thing in a different way that doesn't pass trauma. to the children. So I just enjoy that 
I, you know, I already have a podcast, but after I heard yours, I was like, man, that's a good idea. Podcasting <laughs> about parenting. Look, we need those. <laughs> and we need more of those. Like I said that at the, the summit, we had the liberation and education summit. You and I were just chatting about that a little bit. And I said, everybody should have a podcast because, exactly. you know, we can have the conversations at our kitchen tables. That's important, obviously. And there's nothing like when we're talking to each other and not having to explain certain basic things. But we also need to have the conversations out loud at varying levels. And I just feel like the more voices we have expressing what it looks and feels like for them, the more honest the dialogue we can we can have, which is a part of why you're on, because I also listen to your podcast and I know you're all about that honest dialogue life. Yeah, <laughs> I am. There's, I mean, I just I've been a hairstylist for 11 years. Yeah. And I our podcast was born just from what we end up talking about all the time with our clients, like yes. they're coming to get their hair done, but then we end up talking about what they're eating and how they're moving and what struggles they have in their relationships and with money and with their children, grown children and children, children. And so yeah. the podcast is basically that us having out loud in a bigger forum, the conversations that we are facilitating all the time in the salon and I wasn't a podcast listener before I started recording a podcast. Ah. I would try and everything centered around whiteness. And I would just be like, well, that's great if you're white. But if you're not, white, <laughs> that's what I would be thinking when I would be listening to podcasts. I'm glad to see more black and brown people stepping into this platform, talking about things that, like you said, we talk about it with our family or our friends or the people we work with. And then sometimes you feel alienated in your own community because how you feel is different than the people right around you. And I found that at least our podcast has had a unifying effect. We have people that say to us, like, I felt that way about money or about manifesting a life I want. But, you know, my background is different than that. And if I try to talk to my family about it, I look like an alien to everyone. <laughs> and it just made me feel like and that's how I feel about your podcast. There's a lot of things about parenting. And even when you visited Charlotte and you were talking, I was just like, if I had a tambourine right now, <laughs> I would just beat it because it's hard sometimes to be in mothering spaces mm. because people are saying things that traumatize me. And I'm like, if this is how you feel about your children, I can't imagine exactly. what it's like. I mean, this is what I love too about the Get Well podcast. That's the name of Kelly's podcast, by the way, which she co-hosts with. Tanisha, Tanisha. It is Tanisha Matthews. Yes, yeah, Tanisha she's Matthews. my best friend and, and business partner. Love it. So Tanisha and Kelly, it's called the Get Well Podcast, and it really is for the aliens <laughs> and the weirdos among us. In a, a previous episode, I was talking with a sister named Kim Hester, who she and her husband are unschooling, and oh, she okay. was talking about that same feeling of like, we're crazy, but actually, no, we're not, because that is foolishness. But right. who can I talk to about this thing? And do I want to be, as you were saying when we were talking before, Kelly, do I want to be that one woman in the place that's like, yo, really? Let me, right. <laughs> you know, that's exhausting. <laughs> and we're dealing with our own ways of managing the things. And we're also wanting to not get in the way of the experiences and relationships our children are building in the spaces. But when we see a problem. So, you know, I just love knowing that people like us are saying, you know what? I do want to risk expression. Because we need this shit. We need it. Right, yeah. right, right. Over the summertime, 
in this fall, I took some workshops from Dr. Gail Parker out of Detroit, but a yoga therapist. So she's a, a licensed trained therapist, but also a yoga teacher. She uses those tools together to help her clients and patients. And lately, her work is centering around what she calls race-based traumatic stress injuries and how they happen in a lot of different ways. But people of color, particularly Black people, we are still being traumatized based on race in different ways. Like we see other Black people being murdered on television, violence in our own communities, you know, parent to child to strangers on each other. And we never have a chance to heal from it. So she believes in using a particular kind of yoga called restorative yoga to heal that, like to give us a place to process and heal. And her workshops are like amazing. I've taken two at this point. She was talking about the fact that when we take the opportunity to heal ourselves in small ways, we heal forward seven generations and backwards seven generations. I, when she said that to me over the summertime, it caused a complete shift for me around the way that I was teaching yoga and using yoga. Because until that point, I mean, I was using it to heal myself and hold space for other people's healing, but I had not yet connected it to um, how I could use it to help other mothers. And at that point, like just the way I started working was different and what I was planning on offering and what I'm offering now to mothers revolves around just that, taking small opportunities to heal ourselves in ways connected to our motherhood and have tools of healing available to us so that we are not passing trauma and we're actually healing things for ourselves that will heal seven generations ahead of us. We won't even see the end result of it. I love that. I talk a lot about Sankofa work, you know, about going back and pulling what you need from your past to, to work with you in your now and how that affects the generations that come after us, especially when we're mothering. And what you're talking about feels very much like that for me. That's why it's so wonderful to be in a space where we have other Black women, other women of color who are saying, don't get it twisted. Don't let these people tell you that yoga is just like some white people shit that you do if you yeah. can afford to pay $50 for a fucking 45 minute class, you know, that right. it's so much more than that. And I feel a lot like with self-directed education and even more specifically with unschooling that we still have so much healing work to do with that because we've been led to believe <laughs> that a lot of these tools for healing are really just like luxuries that we don't have time or money for. Right. Right. It's the way that it's being marketed and I feel very grateful to know a wealth of teachers here in America, Black people and white people, too, who are working to stop that narrative. It's just so entrenched that it's, you know, it's like public education. Yes. People think yes. that's the only way. Yep. And if you question it all and what I always love, I'm like, here it comes. You went through it and look how you turned out. You survived. I'm like, that. I'm not trying to survive anything. I do not want my children, when they're adults, to turn around and say, yeah, you know, our mother, she was great and we survived her. No, 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 no. Exactly. I want them to thrive and be able to say we, we're grateful and appreciate her intentions, even yep. if they don't agree with everything. 
we appreciate her intentions. And the idea of surviving, I think, is something that's so much a part of our story. Yes. That we don't realize that actually the people who came before us thrived in a way that seems mediocre to us, but they were thriving. They didn't just survive it. They thrived in spite of oppression and enslavement and kidnapping and murder and torture. Like they thrived out of it. That's why we have music and food and still like can find joy, even though the world is topsy turvy. Along with the trauma that was passed, that gene of being able to thrive and make something out of nothing is so in us. But there's so many levels that are introduced through schooling and sometimes religion or whatever that take us away from that. Mm -hmm. You just want to make it. And I'm like, no, I don't. I'm not interested in making it. I'm interested in looking back over my life and saying I enjoyed my children. I enjoyed my partner. I enjoyed the work that I did. I enjoyed the times when I wasn't working or couldn't work. And even when there were times that were uncomfortable, I'm grateful that I had tools that let me know it was temporary and that I had all that I need to survive that. Then we have other sisters who are in a space in their life where they're not in a position to look back and say, I don't just want to survive. We have many of us who are surviving. So much of what I'm able to do now, being in a partnership with a partner who's actually a partner and not just like a guy I had kids with, you know, being <laughs> a part a of it. Yeah, a that's a thing. Um, and being in a supportive community, having my parents and his parents around. There are a lot of things that I have that another 40 year old woman raising her children would not have the space and you know what I'm saying? And even the mental right. bandwidth to be with. So This is why these spaces are so important. This is why an understanding of yoga as a tool or self-directed education as a tool is so empowering because you may not be able to unschool the way that you want to, for example, or you may not be able to take all the yoga certifications that you want, but you can find out that Kelly is doing a class at this place at this time and you could be there and then connect with that community so that even when you can't deal with the classes, you know, there's a group that y'all are a part of, or there's something that you guys do together. Like we got to really reframe what it means to be on the other side of this trauma. There's another woman who does work called post-traumatic slave syndrome. It's a book that yeah. she wrote to Joy. I think it's the yeah, group. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So you know what I'm talking about with this idea that even when we talk about violence that we inflict on our children and on each other, these things are rooted in something. This is not like our way. These things are a part of how we've survived and currently deal with trauma. You know, right. so if we don't have means to work through that in our bodies and in our discussions, then we will, of course, perpetuate it. Cause as you said, we'll be like, well, I survived it and you're going to survive it even a little bit better. Cause you got a phone and you got right. a this and, you, <laughs> and you're in a, a good school system. We got a come all the way outside of that. We got to get well. So you, you mentioned too, that your practice shifted when you started to connect it to generations ahead and generations past. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, how your approach to yoga and mothering shifted with that reality? Well, I think, well, I know that I was holding class and I've always held a space where I knew that this practice whether you're doing like 
Hatha Vinyasa Yoga, which is primarily what's pushed here in the United States, or some other, uh, like I've practiced Ashtanga Yoga, which is a more strict type of yoga before. And I've always, when I'm teaching, try to hold a space that is accessible and affordable. And I became a teacher because other Black women were saying to me that they had never done yoga, would never do yoga. And especially my mother was saying to me, like, I like it. I like when I go with you to privates or when you teach me class, but I can't step into the space of a yoga studio where you have a 20 something year old white woman who weighs uh, half of what I weigh (laughs) telling me to do things with my body. I knew that the practice and not the physical part, the philosophy behind it and the mindfulness of it, I knew that it was changing my life. I had just um, gotten married. I had been told that I would not be able to have children at all. And I had just started a business and I was just balancing a lot of things. And I've had to balance a lot of things before and I don't do it well. There's going to be drinking. There's going to be dangerous behavior in this new space of practicing regularly and navigating, thinking I can't have children. And I wasn't even sure I wanted to have children at that point. I wasn't like turning to my old things. I was turning to this practice Mm -hmm. and I was reading more about it and I was practicing more. And I actually started teacher training one week before I gave birth to my oldest son. My entire training period, I was recuperating from a cesarean section and he was in the NICU for a time during that. Mm -hmm. It was just a lot. I was in the hospital during a time for that and the practice held me. So I was like committed to making sure that the practice was available to black and brown people, especially women, because my mom is married, but she didn't have a partner who actively helped. And I saw her navigate that. And I'm fortunate that I'm not in that situation. I have a partner, a husband who also did not grow up with a father. And he's very intentional about building a strong relationship with his children. So I feel grateful. But over the summer, and really since I had a child, I realized that we actually cannot be the mothers we're designed to be because the world does not hold space for it. They expect us to get pregnant easily and quickly, have these children easily and quickly, and then return to working and producing for the world easily and quickly, and at the same time, navigate the space of protecting another life. And that is not realistic. I don't downplay postpartum depression or any of the other things. Like I suffered from postpartum preeclampsia. My blood pressure is perfect until after my children are born. I have my own understandings about why that happens for me, but a lot of it has to do with not respecting the sacred practice of having a baby, having community, listening to your body, moving slowly, taking the time that you need. And I actually had a lot of time. I didn't work for 12 weeks after I had my first son. Right. But I own my own business. So I went back to work at the frequency I wanted to. And around other mothers were having to go back after four weeks, after six weeks, Uh, get their uh, babies over to strangers all day. You're only seeing your child for maybe four hours of their waking time. This has to be driving people insane. And then I also am in a space where I look at my children when they're, you know, when they're newborns. 
And it's like magical that this person came through you and you want to be so gentle and kind, but the pressure of all the other things is so much that of course you are frustrated when they aren't sleeping or when you can't stop their discomfort or when the nursing is not going the way that you want it to go. And I found that I would be in spaces where mothers are asking for advice and they're giving their truth around like, well, I just let the baby cry or I don't know what to do or I'm so frustrated or I'm drinking and nursing and seeing the way other mothers would just pounce on them. And I'm like, this doesn't help anybody. So how do we hold the space where mothers can feel seen and also know that they are capable of more? And if in each moment you don't make the right decisions, you have an opportunity in the next moment to be different. And here are tools for that. And so I started working towards that. And I really wanted it to be available to all mothers. And I'm writing a book actually that I'm not finished with because it keeps evolving, (laughs) but it keeps evolving because the more I dig into that work, my own experience is that as I mother black children in America, the particular frustrations and fears and even post-traumatic slave syndrome, as Dr. DeGruy talks about, Mm -hmm. that is completely ignored and overlooked. And if you bring it up in a mothering space, you're being divisive. Yeah. And so to answer your original question, I was, when I, when I took Dr. Gale's first workshop in the summer, it was in July, I was at Krupalu at the Black Yoga Teachers Alliance Conference, which is really like a family reunion with family that you don't really know, but you kind of know because you've been interacting on Facebook, but we all are yoga teachers from all over the world. I had been at a workshop a few weeks before around race and wellness that was very triggering for me in a lot of ways. And then I had stepped into this all black space and there were a lot of parents there who were saying like, yeah, I practice wellness, but my children don't ever see other black people practicing wellness with me. They just see me doing it on the weekends but never anybody else, no community. And it was mothers and fathers. And then I sit in this workshop with Dr. Gale. I cried like a baby through the whole workshop. And that night I was laying in the bed in my room and I was in a space of trying to figure out what my own activism looked like. I was in a space of knowing I don't feel connected to certain things. I don't feel connected to marching. I don't have any problems with people who want to march. And I was in a place of knowing that my motherhood can be activism because I don't have to raise my kids the way that they're telling me that I have to raise my kids. Absolutely. Like I could raise them free. And, you know, like I said to you when you were here in Charlotte, and I can accept fully the knowledge that that makes them dangerous. I just wanted to start holding the space where mothers of color know, like, I see you. I see all the things. I see that you had to go back to work early. I see that you had to hand your kids over to strangers to maintain that. I see that it's triggering to watch other mothers bury their children and no one be held accountable for that. I see all of those things. And here are tools that we all can tap into so that we can be parenting from a place of love and freedom and not fear and terror and oppression.
in Charlotte when you talked about being very aware and okay with the fact that you are raising a person that might be viewed as dangerous. The deeper layer even than the recognition of that is what you said as a mother. I not only recognize it, but because I know what your definition of that means, I'm not going to instill the fear under the false notion that if my child is a certain way, then he or she is more safe because that's not the truth. You know, and that's how parenting is political. Political is not just about, you know, whether you feel a loyalty to a, a particular party, Democratic or Republican or whatever. My existence is political. My children are political. My hair is political. Like, right. <laughs> these, these are all the things. Yeah. Yeah. So therefore, my approach to parenting must be political or it's going to be led by all the other things around me. Right. The first part is that I do not have the same temperament as my mother. My mother is very kind. She is your classic Libra. She's going to find the balance of peace and be a peacemaker. People say that about her all the time. That's one of the reasons my brother and I have such a close relationship. She did not tolerate us not making up at all. Like <laughs> you all are in a family. Like she would say to us all the time, you're in a family. And when I'm gone, you, you'll only have each other unless you make families with other people. And even then you're still a family. So you figure it out, work it out. Yes. And my brother is one of my best friends and we still have things. And it's like, we might fuss and hang up and then we call right back. Cause it's just not in us to leave it unfixed. <laughs> because of my mother. Yeah. And so my mother, whether she wants to admit it or not, sometimes she'll say to me like, Kelly, don't use white supremacy so much in front of Palmer because he's going to go out and say it. And I'm like, well, uh-huh. you get it how you live. If a four-year-old has to say white supremacy to you, you're not living your life right. So Boom. Okay. But, <laughs> you need to be listening. You needed that message. Right. <laughs> but I tell her all the time, like, you made me into this monster that you see in front of you. Because first, my mom is from rural Georgia. And my grandmother was raised in the house with somebody born before the end of slavery. Mm. So a lot of times when people are talking about a <sighs> long time ago, I'm like, not really. <laughs> because one of the people who raised me was raised by somebody born before the end of she slavery. Was, right. She was born during enslavement. Right. Yes. Right. Damn, and, goosebumps. And, and other people in their family, I'm sure during my grandmother's lifetime that she was around had been enslaved. Of course. But the notion that slavery ended, reconstruction occurred, then there was Jim Crow, and now integration and all is well. And now it's we're like, post-racial. Nah, yeah. nah, <laughs> B, nah. And like, I feel, you know, sometimes white people will say like, well, the white people who were outside the schools hollering and spitting on children and lynching people, they're dead. And I'm like, but their children are not. And their and policies their children's are not. children are not. Hello. And, and right. They're... I'm like, the same way that my mama told me, keep one eye open when you sleeping around your white friends. <laughs> I'm sure white people have told their kids things that are generational. Like, exactly. my mom used to say to me all the time, them ain't really your friends. <laughs> And I'll be like, mom, blah, blah, blah. She's like, wait till, wait till it hit the fan. And the first time Barack announced he was running for president, there were people I know my whole life. Thank you. Who were all of a sudden. Calling him the N-word on Facebook. And I'm like, oh, my mama was right. You're not my friend. Like, 
<laughs> my friend. You were not my friend. You that's how you felt about me. I that's just right. stayed in my place. That's I didn't right. make you have to question yourself. So now your real self comes out. But so my mom, she was raised kind of the opposite of how I was raised. She wasn't allowed to ask a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. She went to traditional school models. She integrated her high school in the ninth grade. So she was going to a segregated school until she was 15. And then she, for four years, went to integrated high school and then went to HBCU. And my mom has multiple degrees and all these things. But she just said to herself that when she had children, she wanted them to be able to talk to her and to ask her questions. And so, like, sometimes people will say to me, you know, in the heat of questioning what I'm doing, because I never question other people's parenting. Do you? These are your children. Yeah. But I get yeah. questions a lot. And and when I get questioned, it's in a very hard attempting to shame type way. I can't actually be shamed because I have no guilt around how I interact with my children. But OK, <laughs> people will really come hard at me and be like, well, that's white people stuff. That's newfangled parenting. And I'm like, I was parented this way in the mm-hmm. 80s, which isn't that long ago. You know, it's 30 some years ago, almost 40 years ago. It's not that newfangled. And what I'm coming to realize as I get further into my own journey of motherhood is ancestrally, this is who we are. Our children were with us. They saw what we were doing. We taught them our trades and crafts. We treated them like human beings. But for generations, we were in a system and are still in a system that does not treat us like human beings. And we pass that trauma to our children in a weird, twisted, I'm going to break them before the world breaks them type of way that I cannot do. When I look at them, I cannot inflict trauma on them that could potentially pass for seven more generations. I'm so happy to hear you say out loud that this is our norm. This shit is newfangled what y'all are doing. You know, that's a result (laughs) of something. This whole Prussian model that we do with the factory setting simulation, that is like the most abnormal thing ever. That is the most abnormal thing when you talk about how humans learn biologically or socially or any of those things. But we've become acclimated to that. And then we learn to acclimate our kids out of exactly that weird twisted thing you said. And also from a space of survival, like I want more for you than what I survive. And this is the lens that I know it through which is why we have to de-school ourselves. If when Brown v. Board and, you know, things happening before that, if that was what the tool of liberation looked like in that space, how can it look like that now still in this space when so many things have changed? Right. You know what I'm saying? Like we can't yeah. free them with that, the same idea of the march. Right. This morning, someone posted a quote from Coretta Scott King. Mm. That I hadn't seen before. Not that I'm like an aficionado on Coretta Scott King <laughs> quotes or anything. Call but, a club. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but she's actually my cousin. So anyway, like seriously. So then you should it's, be it's the like my, <laughs> She's like my cousin, 10th removed on my mom's side. I have My aunt is a, the family historian. And when she made that connection, she was like, we are related to. <laughs> but um, her quote talks about the fact that freedom is something that we have to work towards in each generation. Mm. So this notion that like we achieved integration all is well. It's like, no, now we're in the building with them. What do we do while we're in the building? In what ways do we claim freedom in this shared space? And what tools do we give our children so that in the next generation they can be claiming their freedom? 
not only what tools do we give our children equally, and maybe let me tell it even more important, what tools do they give us? What do they show us? Like we got to back up from this notion because that's also a very new Eurocentric thing that information and knowledge is this thing that comes in some sort of packaging or audible knowledge space that you pass on to another person. That's not how that works. Like things are interconnected and some things are subtle. So we need to also recognize that they give us things. And a lot of times we are standing in the way. We're thinking we're trying to give them the tools or figure out the right or wrong thing. Back up, be quiet, learn to witness. Learn to honor that they're showing you something and maybe you just need to learn that language as opposed to trying to do our version of colonizing them to be like, I don't understand it. You need to say how I understand it and do what I think. Right. That stuff transfers a lot. Yeah, Yeah. it is. On Facebook, I have a group, which you know, that I started. And at first I was like sending it to everyone. And then I had a moment of pause around the fact that we aren't all going to see motherhood in the same way. And I don't want to create a space where people feel the need to prove who's right or who's wrong. And so I just am organically letting people ask to be in the group based on what they see me posting in other places. And I am so uplifted on a daily basis by the way the mothers who, because I know some of them, have very different situations are showing up and holding space for one another in the group. I love Because I'll ask a question or people will post their own questions. And instead of coming in and saying, well, you should do this or you should do that, people are really asking the other mother questions about the situation, asking how she feels. Has she talked to her kids about it? What other resources does she have available? What resources can they share? And... I love it. I've moderated other mom groups before. I basically unjoined every other mom group I was in a while back because (laughs) I would be so triggered and I would be like, Kelly, you don't know these people. So just get off the internet. (laughs) Just get off. But then the other part of me would be like, but they're in pain. So (sighs) I always say it. I'm like, my own healing, my own motherhood is a ripple. And I am in the supreme knowing that because what I'm doing is based in the intention of love and freedom, it has no choice but to be effective. So I'm not going to look for results. People will ask me that all the time. Well, since you do yoga with your kids and you sing bhakti yoga with them and you're teaching them mantras, are they calmer? I'm like, I don't know. Sometimes I think to myself, is this yoga working? But I can't be... (laughs) I can't even be connected to it because they may grow up and tell me that yoga is whack. You had us doing this thing and it's whack and I don't feel connected to it. What I do know is I go to bed every night full of peace. I wake up with joy. I have moments where I have to decide if what I'm feeling, what I'm feeling like saying or doing is based in my own fear or if it's based in love. And I get to choose. That's the thing. Like I get to choose with this practice and that part I know is working. My blog is Peace Filled Mama. And so I have a Facebook page and then there's a Peace Filled Mama community group on Facebook. You can search it and find it. It's just a closed group. So you have to ask. And so far, I haven't denied anyone. I actually at first said it was for women only. 
But then Mm -hmm. I had a lot of men who are in my direct community say that they wanted to be in the space. So I just changed it for everyone to know that it is centered around mothers of color and anyone who wishes to affirm and support mothers of color. There are white mothers in there and people of all backgrounds, but also men have asked to be in there. And I was having a conversation with uh, one man and he was saying his mother is deceased. And he was saying that he is, because of our group, he is learning to view his mother from a place of humanity that he had not yet. We create the illusion that mothers are perfect. They don't fit the perfection, then they're bad mothers. Yes. And we buy into that too as mothers ourselves, you know, and so there's so much work around that too. This is wonderful. I really appreciate being able to have a conversation about the nuances of Black mothering and motherhood in particular. And I love that you're creating space for us to do that. Again, that is not prescriptive. That is not about guruism or whatever. Um, but is You really... are your own guru. Thank I tell you. people that all the time. You are your guru. Please, please. No one's going to save us. This I, We tell the girls this all the time too. No one's saving you. And this is okay <laughs> to know this because then you need to understand what it means to save yourself. <laughs> Man, some dangerous women. They're not waiting on anybody to save them. Oh, can you imagine? Them. Can Woo. you imagine? Yes. So Kelly, you know, Kelly has given us the contact information. I have a sneaking suspicion that Kelly and I are going to be talking again because there's a lot of work that we do that um, it just feels very similar. I know every time I listen to Get Well, there's so many things where I'm like, I literally have notes in Evernote about things that I want to talk to you about that's connected to to the work. I mean, I listen to your podcast sometimes and I, my older son has picked up the, I'll be like, oh yeah, you better say that because (laughs) I'll be listening. I'll be like, oh yeah, y'all better say that. Oh yes. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. So we, we're definitely going to keep bringing that sort of space because we, I know Kelly and I share these feelings of being just so inspired and encouraged and fired up and, and fed by the sort of feedback that we get from folks doing this work too and who are grateful that we center and amplify and understand each other out loud together. So thank you, Kelly. Thank you for the same thing. I'm super duper grateful. And to your point, there are times, because sometimes I get not so friendly messages and emails from people who find my work. No. And they... (laughs) And that for me confirms that my work is real too, because you're somewhere in another country <laughs> and my lived experience is creating a churning for you. And I'll email them back and say, I am sorry that you're uncomfortable with the feelings that you have. Hopefully you can take the yoga mindfulness that brought you to my blog and sit with that churning and then find action for yourself. Cause that's I found right. my action. That's right. And you but saw this it. Email you sent me, this was not the action. That wasn't the move. I'm going to just let you know, don't come in here again. This is my friendly response. Cause don't I'm not like my mama. That's right. right. <laughs> Kelly, thank you so much. We're going to be talking again. Y'all check out the get well podcast, as well as that Facebook page and share it with folks. Cause y'all know we need this and you know, we are powerful enough to do it together. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you, Akilah. It was wonderful. You're welcome. Unschooling Liberation Space. I don't know if you all are following on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel. It's youtube.com forward slash radical selfie because that's the umbrella that I'd been under for all these years, radical self-expression. So on that YouTube page, I have a playlist called Unschooling Liberation Space. 
the kiosk version of a larger community that I have, also called Unschooling Liberation Space. And so what I do is I just pull little bits out of this larger community to um, send it, because that's a membership community, to put it out there in YouTube, give little bits of information that's easy for me to share, but that also gives people just a consistent idea of what's going on in the larger community and encourage them to come in, you know, if that's what they're looking for. Because I think it's really important to show the honest conversations that can happen. My child is teaching me a lot and I'm unlearning some things. And here's how this shows up when we take a more partner-centered approach. It is not perfect, quote-unquote, but it is um, really partnership-driven. And that's the type of relationship that I want to see more of in the world and be part of. So I'm going to put a link to that as well on the show notes page so you could check that out. The show notes page is akilaswichards.com forward slash seven zero. Fear of the Free Child is a weekly podcast that centers diverse narratives, insightful commentary, learning with our children and de-schooling ourselves, owning our multiple identities and treating children with dignity, creating community and sharing conversation from often silenced spaces. Breathing life into liberation practices proactively and on purpose. It's about parenting. It's about self-directed education, loving. It's about learning. Thanks for listening to Farah the Free Child podcast. Like the show? Then show your love or give your feedback at akilasrichards.com.